This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to episode six of Four People with Bishop Wright. I'm your host, Matthew Bowers. Just a reminder before we get started, this podcast is a conversation with the Four Faith Weekly Devotional that is sent out every Friday. And Bishop, I was watching you at Governor Kemp's uh, statewide day of prayer. You gave the benediction and naturally the subject was on prayer. If someone didn't catch that, they can go to your Facebook. There's a, a link to the video to watch that. One of the parts I was really curious about that, uh, that you spoke and, and, and talked about and you had in your benediction, you said, we know that prayer is the preparation and perfection of partnership with God. And that struck me because those aren't words or thoughts that I've heard attached to prayer before. So it's interesting to me because I think for a lot of people, they think of prayer as talking to God or coming to the table with God or, you know, repetitive ways to grow your faith. And so I guess my question with that is, well, what do we know about prayer and what is it preparing us for in that relationship with God? Yeah. So, so, um, well, yeah, I think that uh, prayer, as I said in, in the benediction, I think I wanted to remind everybody that while I was glad that the governor called us to pray and, and that we prayed across denominations, we even prayed across ways of believing. And I certainly believe prayer is important. In the Episcopal Church, there's seven genres of prayer, right? So we definitely believe that prayer is, uh, prayer is important. Our central book is called the Book of Common Prayer. So it's a centerpiece for us, but I, I think we've got to be able to sort of dig down deep and think about what prayer is. And prayer is is, is reaching out to God, and prayer is uh, uh, requesting God's intervention. It's praying for others. It's just to adore God and to say, wow. Uh, uh, but it is also sort of going back and to that familiar place and getting to know God. And when we get to know God in prayer, uh, the way God moves, and that's certainly enhanced by Scripture, we also realize what partnership uh, what kind of partnership is required uh, to partner with God. And so that's what I was talking about. I was saying that it doesn't make any sense just to sort of seek God's intervention right now in the state of Georgia, you know, in response to COVID, if you and I are not going to be the kind of partners one with the other that God has been clear about in Scripture that God wants. So it makes no sense to say God magically zapped the state of Georgia and rid us of COVID-19 but we're going to continue to be greedy. We're going to continue to leave people behind. We're going to continue to be bigots. We're going to continue to, to cheat, lie, and steal. I mean, that's that's not partnership. And so it's not that God is, has a quid pro quo out there, but as we get to know God, one of the ways we sort of perfect our partnership with God is to run to God in prayer and to uh, offer ourselves to God in prayer. One of the things I, I was thinking about with the whole concept of a statewide day of prayer, because I don't think I'm comfortable with the idea, like you said, of we're all going to wake up, say seven Lord's prayers and lift our hands and God's going to zap away the virus. But at the same time, I don't think that was the goal of a statewide day of prayer. And so I'm wondering how you looked at that. What do you think came out of it? Well, I think all politics aside, you know, if anybody's going to invite us to pray, I want to be there. I, I'm, I'm a person of prayer. My life has been shaped by prayer. I'm the beneficiary of of the, the quiet confidence that comes from prayer. I'm a, the beneficiary of uh, of finding direction in prayer. Um, I'm the I'm the recipient of other people's prayers, and so. 
uh, if the governor or anybody's going to call us to pray, especially in the face of a pandemic, I think that's exactly pitch perfect. And that's what we should be doing. And so I was glad that he called us to pray. I just thought in the benediction, I wanted to make the point because we had already prayed for the dying and the grieving and the lost and those who are who are having their livelihoods negatively impacted. I've already That was already outlined for an hour and a half, so I didn't need to be redundant. But I wanted to make sure that people understood that prayer is necessary, but it's not magic. And that what you and I are doing in prayer, at least in part, is saying yes to God. Yes, God, I have got a sense of what partnership you desire for your people as on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that's the, that's the model. And so I want to work alongside you, God, uh, in being in expanding neighborliness. That's what I was talking about. In the face of COVID-19, God is looking for partners. And those partners are people who are going to expand, lengthen, and deepen what it means to be neighbor. I mean, it's, it's sad that pandemics uh, and catastrophes and snowmageddons pull this out of us, but nevertheless, it does. And so I'm saying, let's all be partners with God, um, you know, going forward. That's what I want for the state of Georgia. We'll be back with Four People with Bishop Wright in a short moment. If you're enjoying Four People with Bishop Rob Wright, we encourage you to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Coming back, how do you join together in prayer with God and be an example of that neighborliness that you talked about that, that's pleasing to God when you are in a room praying to the same God, but you believe, you, it's possible that you might believe vastly different things than those around you? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that, that's always in the room wherever we are. I, I think that for me, at least, I, I tend to be sort of a bottom line kind of guy. And the, and the bottom line really is that love God and love neighbor. And so I'm, I'm always going to, you know, prayer is one thing. And even Jesus talked about, you know, beware of people who make long prayers, right? And, and who love to sort of perform piety in the public square. Uh, you know, Jesus warned us about that. And so you know, I I would much rather prayer be strengthening what I uh, the the quality of care I render to my neighbor. That's how I sort of decide. I mean, you know, I don't want to be anybody's judge. I don't want anybody to be my judge. What I what I'm hoping is is that the evidence of the fact that I have some connectivity with God that we call prayer, relationship, intimacy with God, is is the way in which I care for my neighbor. Is the way in which I'm going to disagree. It's not that that we aren't going to disagree just because we prayed side by side, but how, you know, what's the quality of my disagreement? You know, I think that you can be, I think you can disagree with people uh, vehemently, profoundly without being a disagreeable person. I think you can disagree with people without it having, uh, you know, sort of becoming contempt for other people. I mean, this is, I think, is a very timely issue for us. I think prayer can help us with that because in prayer, we remember that it's our father. You are my sibling, period. And if we can make that first, I mean, in prayer, we practice that. And in prayer, that's reasserted for us. We are remembered by that very fact. Jesus said, pray this way, our father. And you know, you can sort of, you can't escape that, right? I mean, and so that's hanging over us. And so I think that um, the, uh, I guess the um, the evidence 
that our prayers are going anywhere higher than our head uh, is, is how do we treat our neighbor? You know, are we being changed? I think this is the other thing we've got to say. You know, if we're going to pray to God in the state of Georgia to intervene, and we should, and I'm glad we did, you know, we've got to be ready to change. When I pray, I'm presenting myself to be changed by God. I'm saying, God, yes, I desire to please you. Show me how I might please you. And one of the ways we please God is to give up some stuff. And one of the things we've got to give up is, uh, you know, our commitment to smallness, separateness, and superiority. Uh, You know, that's the mark of a holy and spiritual life that has real meaning and real depth. So, yeah, we're all alongside people, and all of us are missing the mark. But I think at the end of the day, uh, how has my prayer life shaped and refined the way I live alongside of people, maybe even especially people I disagree with. Kind of off of that, you talked uh, you talked about drawing that circle of love wider and wider. And I've heard that term used a lot and that idea used a lot in this area. <clears throat> so it's not a, a far off concept, but I guess, like, what is that circle? Like, what is it tangibly? How do you tangibly measure? You know, I, I think there's part of it where we have our own personal circles that we need to draw wider but we also have the corporate circle that we also need to draw wider. Um, and so like, personally, I look to Jesus, uh, the way he brought people into the ministry. The disciples weren't people you would find in most inner circles. The women who were the backbone of his ministry weren't people you'd find in the inner circles, so on and so forth. You get the point. And so I guess I wonder how do we measure our circle and where we can draw it wider yeah, I mean it's very simple, right? I mean let's 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 stay with the blueprint, right? So Jesus drew the circle of love wider by the way he um, encountered people, by the way he included people. I mean it's it's really kind of easy to measure. I mean he saw those people, found those people who were on margins, the the uh, on the margins, the leper, uh, uh, those who were female, uh, those who were infirm, those who were young. Um, people unlike himself. In fact, if you watch Jesus travel around Galilee, he actually, you know, doesn't take the direct route. He actually takes a very circuitous route. So he is actually physically, literally drawing the circle wider of neighborliness. So, I mean, I, I think we measure this by, you know, asking ourselves, you know, tell me, you know, think about the bubble you actually live in right now, right? I mean, uh, uh, where is the poor in your bubble? Where is the sick in your bubble? Where are those who are disadvantaged in your bubble? Right? It's not just sort of a, you know, passing out meals, though that's not a bad thing. It is uh, an interaction. Uh, I was uh, reading David Brooks, who's a New York Times uh, columnist, and he was talking about how he helps out uh, with this young group, uh, this group of youngsters that he really should have nothing to do with other than he has this commitment of being there and being in a relationship with them. And he talks about uh, how this has expanded his worldview, his moral view, his ethical view, his economic view, uh, encountering people who he otherwise would not have encountered. And so I think this is what we're talking about when we're talking about drawing the circle wider. I think that the average person, and this doesn't make anybody bad, and everybody's got good intentions, but I think we live in bubbles. And Jesus kept pushing the edges of that. He kept including people because he was saying we're all beloved in God. And so I think our lives have to bear the marks of that. You know, so where do we go just because Jesus said go there? 
you know, go to the sick, the infirmed, the left behind. Why I think that's important to say at that benediction uh, on statewide prayer is because we know that some groups are, are disproportionately um, being disadvantaged by COVID-19. We know that some groups are not getting the money uh, that is uh, being placed in the community to help people. We know that certain groups uh, are, uh, are, you know, their sort of disadvantage is just going to be compounded. Um, and we know that uh, some uh, who are rich are going to get richer. Uh, and we know that some who are vulnerable are going to get more vulnerable and the poor will get poor. So that's what I'm talking about. That does not please God, according to the Bible. That does not please God. What seems to please God is when you and I uh, take up the initiative just because we want to walk alongside God. We want to partner with God to go to those cracks and crevices. I call them the fingernail dirty places of the world to go there and and not to just be in this sort of um, noblesse oblige model, but to go as this is my brother, this is my sister. And my brother and my sister are at, at a disadvantage right now. This is a spiritual practice and a spiritual reality that I think actually helps us to gain new depth in our own souls and our spirituality. Then what does that look like to tangibly go to someone on the outer edge? Because I think back, I was working with someone and we were in a, an area that had a, a large homeless population. And they said, you know, the most important thing you can do for them when they ask money for ask for money isn't to give them money, but to acknowledge them and, and learn their name. And I, you know, I hear that, and I absolutely agree that treating someone humanely is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to value the dignity of every human being. But there's also like the real world aspect of this person needs tangible, actual help. And so I guess what does it mean to actually go to that person who is on the outskirts of society you know, during this time, whether that's shut in or financially not able to sustain themselves. I mean, let's let's take it really slow here. So uh, oftentimes I get a chance to speak to high schoolers, right? And so we talk about this very notion about drawing the circle of love wider. And I ask them to think about their lunchroom or think about their classroom. They know very well which kids are on the inside and which kids are on the outside. They know very well who, you know, the kids who are scorned um, and made fun of and out, and are outcasts. And I asked the kids who are the most popular, the most, uh, you know, the best looking, uh, the most athletic, who enjoy all the benefits of popularity. I say, what would it be like for you to include that kid, for you to put your imprimatur on that kid, for you to have that kid come and sit beside you, for you to include that kid in your next outing or your next, uh, you know, event? Uh, so, I mean, there's there's practical ways to, to, to share whatever we have, my celebrity, my popularity. I mean, it's not always about money. Sometimes it is. But I think this is what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus did not make any financial transactions, right? But what he did was he used his imprimatur. He outraged his own disciples. Why are you stopping to talk to the kids, the disciples said. And Jesus took the kid, put him on his lap and talked to him. Why are you hanging out with the tax collectors? He outraged the clergy. Right. So sometimes it's not about the money. It's about using what you and I have. And some of us have celebrity to give. Some of us have uh, importance to give. But what's it like at the office? Right. To decide not to use your mouth uh, uh, and be harmful and uh, and sort of spew corrosive uh, sort of gossip 
uh, or nasty remarks uh, to that person who's on the fringe that that person's so easy to make fun of. So, I mean, it's, it's that, you know, on that level practically, but it's also on the systemic level in the state of Georgia, right? Um, You know, the mentally ill, you know, what, what's the resources, what are the resources like them? Are, Are we spending the resources that we need to spend realizing that they are members of our community or do we treat them like throwaways disposables? Um, I mean, and on and on and on. So, I mean, budgets are moral documents. Our calendars are moral documents. And so, you know, we get this bifurcation if we don't do this. We get sort of the way I talk on Sundays and the way I live on Mondays. But what prayer tries to do, prayer is that sort of space, that container, where we begin to hold those two opposites together. And we begin to sort of refine ourselves so that we can begin to move our our regular Monday life into more of our Sunday words. I think that's what's happening on Sunday. At least that's the possibility that's happening. You and I have some awareness of the gap between what we say in prayer and how we live. And I think a life with God in prayer begins to move us closer. At least it holds out the invitation that you and I begin to make our Sunday words and our Monday life look more and more alike. You closed with, uh, we know we will have your blessing. And so I'm, I'm curious, what is the blessing of God? Like, I don't think we pray to get a tangible blessing. Like, I don't think blessing is we pray for the lottery and then boom, God blesses us with the, the winning numbers. And so I wonder for our life, what does the blessing of God look like? What does that blessing do for us? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the blessing of God is, is to know that we are walking alongside of God that, you know, as I like to say that my mind and my behind are in line. So the blessing of God is peace, right? It, it, it is to will one thing, right? It's, it's not celebrity. It's not notoriety. It's not any of that. It is the, the blessing of God is to know that we have reached out to you, God, and, uh, and you are intervening, we believe. You are the giver of strength and capacity to do all these sorts of things. And the fact that we're walking alongside you uh, in this regard uh, is giving us joy, is giving us peace, is giving us the blessing of fellowship. In other words, being alongside of people who share that same purpose, uh, being alongside of people who want to sort of labor, uh, to create uh, with with God, so so the blessings are manifold. The blessings, and and so the blessing is what I like to call is gives us this um, sense of tailwind. We have we have this sense that we're sort of on the right track and moving along. But ultimately, the blessing is to be the things I say I am. Uh, and so we begin to get this sort of softer current of uh, I'm walking in integrity, and and the feeling of that. Now we all fall short, and you know. Uh, so, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's a perfect day out there for all of us. But what I'm saying is, is that we can begin to close the gap. We can begin to walk with integrity, and that in of itself is a blessing. To be able to do the things I pray, be able to be the person I say I am, to be able to walk alongside my God, who I said is ultimate for me, is in of itself the blessing, and that's the blessing I want for Georgia. That's a blessing I want for, you know, the, the folks I get to serve with, the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta. It's what I want for our congregations, right? And that's what I want for our individuals, right? And I think this is what our young people are talking about when they sort of look at us, look at our lives, and look at what we say on Sunday, and they wonder about the gap. 
right? They wonder about the gap. And so I think what has always grown the church uh, is people living the words they pray uh, in the public world, and that really being an, an enigma to the world and arresting the world that goodness still is in the world. So, yeah, I think it's available to all of us, really. So we've gone through a lot, but Bishop, I want to give you a chance to, to wrap it up. Last thoughts, last words. Yeah, as I said, thank you. As I said, you know, uh, in the Episcopal Church, we believe in seven genres of prayer, and that can be found in the Book of Common Prayer, right? Seven genres of prayer. And the genre that of prayer that doesn't get talked about nearly enough, which was implicit in what I was saying at the state capitol, is the genre of oblation. Oblation. It just simply means to pour out ourselves. And this is what I mean about partnership with God. Right. So what I'm inviting people, in fact, I double dog dare you is to offer yourself to God. That should be our prayer right now, especially in the face of a pandemic. It's here we are, God. I'm yours. There's no better life that I could conceive of myself. I could conceive of myself uh, than the life that you have for me. And so I give you myself, God. I give myself away. I offer to you myself. That's oblation. Jesus does it time and time again. All the great men and great women uh, down through the millennia who have walked closely with God have done exactly that in some shape, form, or fashion. So, so there it is, uh, the prayer of oblation. Say yes to God again. So there you go. So as I always like to say, take care of yourself out there. Take care of one another. Wash your hands. Go for a walk. Be encouraged. God bless you. That's all the time we have for this episode, but we'll be back with you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, connect with us by following Bishop Wright on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can keep up when we post new episodes. Tune in next week for more.